The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world, hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services out of Clements, Maryland. HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest, owner of JD Motorsports, has been involved in NASCAR competition for over 35 years. From right down the road in Gaffney, South Carolina, home of the Big Peach. He began his uh, career as a crew member and fabricator for several Winston Cup and Bush Series teams. As a crew member, he won a NASCAR Bush Series championship with Larry Pearson in 1987. He's one of the longest-running active team owners in all of NASCAR, having first fielded cars in 1983. JD Motorsports became a full-time multi-car team in 2002. Current drivers in the Xfinity Series are Ryan Vargas, driver of the number 6 Chevrolet, and Bailey Curry who pilots the number four Chevrolet. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Johnny Davis, say hi to Mike Wallace. How you doing, Mike Wallace? Thanks I, for having me on. Uh, you're more than welcome. We're glad to have you on. I, I had the honor to drive for Johnny a f- few years back for a few years, and so he, he's coming off of a great sixth-place finish down in Daytona in the Twilight Zone race. That ran both on those races Friday over the and, weekend were crazy. Friday night and Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That was like, like the 24-hour of experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, Anybody that said they didn't have their fill of television this weekend for NASCAR racing is BSing you because I watched the uh, the Cup race twice, then watched the end of it because they aired it, then they went back and re-aired it during the break, right? The rain delay, and then watched the end of it. But that, uh, that it was, was a messy just, weekend in Daytona. Yeah. yeah. So Johnny, you've been uh, you've been in this sport for quite quite a few years. And everybody in the race world knows you, loves you, appreciates everything you do. But a lot of race fans out there don't know where you came from, don't know when you first got started. So, as we always say, we're unscripted on this show. So I need to go back into time and have you you help start us. Tell me how you got involved in motorsports. 
Well, my father was a drag racer when I was a kid, five years old. I can remember going to Shadyside Dragway and them racing the old Oldsmobile. They towed up there and the 54 Chevrolet that they uh, towed, towed the car with. Uh, drag strip was dirt. I got into drag racing, started that at 14 years old, driving myself. Uh, it didn't last long enough, so I hooked up with a friend of mine, had a dirt car. I drove it a little while, and it just, it just kept mushrooming into racing there. So so from the drag racing days, what, what what did the drag racing not do for you, or is it just things changed and it was you, you decided you wanted to go oval racing? It did not last long enough. It, it was over too quick, you know, and then you had to sit and wait on another round uh so I wanted to get out there and grind and bump and get at it for uh, 30 minutes or so at least, you know, and the dirt tracks was 25 laps as opposed to running a quarter mile, which was most drag strips back then, and uh, really enjoyed that better. Uh, wasn't that good of a driver, I'll have to admit it, but had a lot of fun, and then I decided I, if I'm going to have really enjoyment in this, I'm going to have to get hooked up with somebody that can drive, and I just need to be the mechanic. So when you were drag racing, was that you mechanic and driving at that time, or was it a mixture of people involved? Yes, sir. When I was uh, 16 years old, I had an original 69Z28, which I wish I had back today, and I mm -hmm. cut the floorboards and all out of it and tubbed it and backhafted it and bought me a $100 Lincoln 225 welder there and did all my fabricating and uh, – Went to the local uh, heat and air shop and bought some galvanized metal. Back then, that's what everybody used around there. Built me a drag car and had a lot of fun. Yeah, so uh, did you you flat tow that drag car or did you have a trailer you hauled it on? Towed it on a trailer. I borrowed my uncle's 1950 Chevrolet one-ton truck to tow it to Spartanburg, Greer, Shadyside, to various places. I couldn't afford a car and a truck. <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> as uh, the drag racing kind of, you got tired of that short short stint in uh, drag racing, you wanted to become an oval racer or something just gave you more time. What was the first step there? How did you uh, how did you venture out from drag racing to go, I'm going to do something different? Well, a friend of mine that I went to school with, he was a year younger, Julian Harrison, who was deceased with the COVID last year. He had a dirt car in the, in the rookie division, the six-cylinder division, and he didn't really want to drive it. And uh, he told me if I'd help him work on it, I could drive it. And we started off like that, and turned it over a couple of times, you know, and all the good beginner stuff. <laughs> and then I decided that car wasn't good enough, and I built my own. And I was, I did win two races at Cherokee Speedway. Was the only Chevrolet to win a race in that division. Uh, the Fords were more dominant, but. Now, what kind of class, what, what what did they call that class back then when you were growing they, ca they call it the Rookie Series division. You, you could run uh, up to 255 cubic inch, six-cylinder, and Chevrolet, uh, Chevrolet had to take the 230 and bore it out as big as you could because the 250 crankshaft didn't balance that good and the harmonics wasn't good and it, it wouldn't stay together. And uh, the Ford people took a 240 Ford and they welded up the crankshaft and stroked it a little bit. And it was hard to beat that piece. Wow. So, so when you showed up the dirt track there and you had all that going for you, were you working on that car yourself or did you have your buddies helping you? Well, me and Julian was doing it still. Uh, Wayne Paris, who's deceased down there, was building the engines at Paris Automotive. And uh, it was a fun venture there. We had a lot of fun. We learned a lot. We grew a lot. We fought a lot. We got a lot of mud in our face, but <laughs> it's what it is. Now, now you got you know we got to elaborate a little bit on old style racing because I think it's kind of it's kind of humorous to be well, honest. Take, with you. take me back. I want to know what year are we talking about when Johnny when when you were running Cherokee Speedway and getting into the business model. What year are we at? Seventy eight. Gotcha. Uh, 78, 79, 80 in that era i went to work for james in 81 and that's when i built my first asphalt car so so i what i was going to elaborate on a little bit back in the day that they when johnny was saying about things and he threw in fighting in there yeah they actually well, fought was, back in the day didn't they yeah that was just normal <laughs> you know they just let you fight till you're tired and done and, <laughs> and then you'd go eat together you know 
You know who had the same story was uh, Humpy Wheeler, if you oh, recall. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, we had Humpy on a few months back, and he talked about how he walked from one end of Ga- uh, Gastonia to from the east side right. to and the west side. And they used to run up at Metrolina Speedway right yeah. here in Charlotte, and they, they said, you got to be ready for a fight every every night, every Friday <laughs> or Saturday night. Yeah, there was plenty of them. They was they was a little racing and a lot of fighting sometimes. Man, you guys were too tough for me. I can tell you that. I would I would have never made it then. But uh, so after you you did a little bit of your own driving stint there and uh, won a couple races at Cherokee, then what was the next progression progression for Johnny Davis in the race world? Well, I, I bought a rear steer front snout from Joel Stowe up in uh, North Carolina there. He was over near uh, Baxter. And uh, I took it to Bobby Wellman. Bobby wanted to start building race cars. And he said if I'd let him copy that front snout, he'd build me a free race car if I'd buy all the materials. So I actually had the first snout that Bobby Wellman ever copied to start BW race cars back in the day. We did it in an old building up there in Faustin, uptown. Built me a first car, and uh, we actually took that car. Didn't know what we was doing. We was building it to go to Hickory to start with, and then we decided we'd get it ready and go to Daytona one year. We took that thing down to Daytona. Now, wait a second. You, you, you're should we go to Hickory or Daytona? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, we, we built it to go to Hickory, but then we decided to go try and run the 300-mile race at Daytona. And we uh, we had ran across Joe Henry Thurman, and we, we took him down there, and we messed up and qualified fifth. Didn't know <laughs> what in the world we was doing, didn't have a clue. But we finished way in the back. Uh, we got down there, he ran 302 engines, and we couldn't get that thing to run. And I had a 350 gear, and back then everybody run a 300, 290, 310. I put that 350 in it, and for one lap, it was about the fastest thing there, getting up to speed. And I, we just lucked up. Didn't know what we was doing. Didn't have a clue. But we went backwards faster than we went forwards in the race. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, it's a good story, especially when you think about racing today and you go, well, we were building a car for Hickory, but we decided to take it to Daytona. Take it to Daytona. <laughs> it was quick for and, one and, lap. And screwed up and qualified <laughs> fifth, you know. So yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, so you didn't finish very well in the race, but you qualified well, and uh, that must be, and, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but Johnny's always had the knack, Jeff, to build fast qualifying cars. Yeah? At yeah, his stuff is well, what's always... what's the secret? Well, I don't know. We're going to get to that. Okay. But, you know, we got three more segments, you know, after this one, so we can't jump into all use up good... all our A material yeah, in second I can't one. Use it all. All right. Yeah, can't use So after uh, that race, what, is that the start of your then ownership in the NASCAR world? Yeah. Yeah, that was the start of it. I was working for James Hilton as well, and uh, just doing it. We was running my cars at at uh, the the mile and a half, uh, Rockingham's, Darlington's, Charlotte, and every now and again we'd go to Dover. That I, we would get gas money to tow that far. Johnny, but, tell me, tell the, our listeners a little bit about James Hilton. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna be able to interview him because he's not around anymore, but. I got to meet him through you, and what a character, and uh, been around the sport for a long time. Give us a little background on James. J- James was a super guy. He, he was an independent racer. You know, he was the first guy to ever make a – first independent racer to take in a million dollars in the sport. Uh, he rookie of the year. He achieved a lot with nothing. And I really, from him, learned how to take a dollar and make it spend like it was $20 and – he taught me a lot, drove the tow truck himself, got in the sleeper and let you drive, and worked all night right there with you. You know, a, a never-give-up attitude is what I learned there. Yeah. Well, from from doing that with James and then working for James and owning your, your own race cars, uh, who, who was driving for you then after Thurman, or did he drive for you for a period of time? Or He drove a good period of time. Slick Johnson drove some when he drove for james he would drive our cars you know at the competitive races that weekend when we was at darlington and rockingham together 
So I interrupted you a second ago and didn't mean to, but you were saying that you you ran your car at certain racetracks and James's car at another. Did I understand that right? Or no, no. Oh. Like with Joe, Joe ran all the short tracks with the four number in his car, and we ran the speedway, what we call the speedway races in my car, the Rockingham's, the Darlington's, the Daytona, Charlotte. You know anything a bank track mile and over. So back in the day, in that era, okay, because I'm trying to educate all of our fans along the way. You know, this is a global podcast, right? The whole world is listening, Mike. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> when you raced back then, what did it cost to race, to go to a race? Let's say you want, wanted to go to, you went to Daytona, didn't even know you were going to go, and you went to Daytona. What, what, what would it have cost back then, you think? Well, the tires were $500 for four instead of 2500 The entry fee, if I remember right, was 100 The license was 150 for the year for a car owner license. Uh, big difference in today's world. Uh, fuel, as you know, was probably $0.40 cent a gallon. Wow. So we it towed just... it with a gas one ton. I, I and I think you'll relate to this, Johnny. A lot of people go, you know, the sports change; it's so different and everything. I says, hell, it's the same old racetracks. Yeah. There's yeah, it's, same st place. it's still still the same size racetrack, except but, everything costs more. Yeah, right? yeah, they they just put a little more lipstick on that pig every week. And make it look <laughs> better. And here we go. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we take a break, and we'll come right back, and we'll pick up on that part. We're talking to owner of J.D. Motorsports, Johnny Davis. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Back in the day with owner of JD Motorsports, Johnny Davis. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Johnny, we were talking there. You're racing with, with uh, James Helton and yourself and different drivers. So give me the next step. How long did you work? with james and then own your own car How yeah I, I, well i left james at the end of the 83 season uh went to work for billy standridge next in the sportsman division that didn't last very long i didn't i didn't make that work too good but we we ran good at billy's uh then i left billy's and went and worked for jimmy means a little while Jimmy Smut means, ladies and gentlemen. Give him That's my a name first, I recognize, yeah. Give him my first opportunity yeah. in cup racing right there. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Jimmy uh, was got doing? a unique story there. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah, real nice. Yeah. <laughs> he what was he, he called thinking? me one day after he had wrecked at Charlotte and had a broke leg. And said, is there any way you can uh, go to my shop and finish my race car and get it ready to go to Riverside. I got a boy coming from Alabama, JP. He's going to help you drive out there. And I got people out there to help you push it around. Uh, the Canadian fisherman, Roy Smith, he's going to drive it, but I ain't got nobody to work on it. Can you go do that for me? I think he gave me $500 to get out there and get back on back in that era. Get out there and get back. Five, so. <laughs> 500 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And uh, maybe a credit card too, but but JP, that was that was a neat experience. You know, we got that car ready and pushed it on the trailer, and me and JP headed out to Riverside. You know how we are, Mike. We travel. We don't sleep good when we're driving. We'd stop and eat and fill up at the same times, and then then we'd keep going. And I we was learning each other because we never had met each other. He could drive okay. Yeah, he done okay, and. I'd been driving all them years out there with James and everybody and was doing okay. We, we, went, we decided to go down eight there in Arizona, cut back across California. We stopped at Greg Barnacle's truck stop in Yuma, Arizona. And I didn't, I didn't know this, but we was going to take a shower. We hadn't had a bath in two days. <laughs> and we, we stand behind the truck and we look at the clock. And, you know, if we don't go on, we might be late. So let's skip the shower and just change shirts. So we're standing behind the truck and got the camper cover up and we're getting this shirt out of our suitcase and JP's are pulling his off. I didn't know that rascal had a wig. He didn't have no hair. 
He pulled that shirt off and his hair turned crooked. I done been up for two days nearly. I thought his head was coming off. I was trying to help him put it back on, you know. I got a I got a great visual right now. Yeah, that, that was a that was a, a shock after you hadn't been to bed in a couple of days, you know. But, uh, but anyway, we we had a lot of fun with that later on. And he stayed in, he stayed in Far City, never went back. Married him a girl there, and they had a restaurant. And he worked for Jimmy for a little while. But he was one of Jimmy's friends that helped him in the in the beginning out in Alabama when he ran the short tracks. Wow. I'm thinking. I'm. You said you had a visual of that, yeah. and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I've I've stayed up before, not as long as other people do. And I I get numb and tired, you know, just numb when I get really tired, and it's like, I can just picture this guy's hair falling off <laughs> or, or twisting well, around, and it's like, damn, am I really? So dreaming I didn't know this where or? that story was going. They're pulling their shirts out of the suitcase or whatever, standing behind the trail. I, well, I, I thought a state trooper was going to pull up or something. Like I that. was thinking the local <laughs> residents of the truck stop were coming to visit them or something you know but uh, uh, it was it was it was a sight to behold i just like to have a picture of me trying to help him fix his hair because yeah. i i thought his head was coming off you know <laughs> i was more plumb out so johnny help me with a few more visualizations of, of not that event but mm -hmm. back in the day when and i use it back in the day because i never experienced you know you hear about guys they say, "Oh, we we all hopped in the van and we drove to Ontario, or we drove to Riverside." I mean, that was just there was no hopping on an airplane, right? I mean, everybody got in whatever and drove out there. Yeah, we uh, we drove the van and the truck. We would uh, get in the van and go to go to uh, California race, and then go to Vegas, and then go to Phoenix before we come home. And Curtis, my son, drove in the early days there. And he would be in the van helping us drive. Uh, me and Big Frank Garofalo would drive the truck and swap off. And, you know, there's all kind of stories about stopping at a truck stop and then being in the back of the van asleep. And the driver of the van go in to pay for gas, come back out. They'd go to the bathroom and get left. <laughs> Not realize it's about 50 miles down the road. Didn't have no cell phones to call you or nothing. I mean, you don't have no people with you. It's funny he says that, Jeff. I drove for Junie Don Levy, and Junie told me a story just like that. Is that right? They got out of the truck somewhere out, heading out that way, and whoever was sleeping in the very back was sleeping when they got out. Well, in the transfer, they got out, went inside as they were coming out. They just damn left them. They got left. <laughs> Yeah. I can I can tell you exactly. That was 1981 in Atlanta, Georgia. Fluff was driving the van. He stopped at the rest area to use the bathroom. Jun Junior was in the back of sleep. Well, Fluff's in there taking care of business with the door closed. Junior comes in, goes to the bathroom. Fluff comes in, gets back in the van, drives it. Some truck driver brought Junie to the racetrack that morning. <laughs> That's great. I remember that like it was yesterday. Really? Well, there, there are certain stories that stick in my mind that somebody's told me, and I never know if they're true or not, but <laughs> they certainly are good. So as uh, that time of your, your career, you're out there, you're helping Jimmy Means, and um, his nickname was Smut. I don't know where that come from. Still don't. But uh, where did you— Would your... you like to? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. They they were talking about Smokey Eunuch, and Jimmy was gonna grow up. He was telling his story there in Alabama, and he was talking about how he was gonna be as good as Smokey Eunuch one day. And old JD, if you remember, JD looked at him and said, "You'll never be a smut to Smokey Eunuch." And that's where he got the nickname. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Look at what we solved here today, Jeff. See? You can't. You can't beat that. No, you can't beat the, those the kind of stories. You only get here. Yeah. So uh, as you finish that trip out to to Riverside with Jimmy or for Jimmy, and you guys do whatever, that, then where does your career or your ownership go, or how do you proceed? Well, he on? hired me to work for him for a little while, and and uh, that went pretty good. You know, he he did what he could. I learned a little bit from Jimmy as well, and. Uh, then I went to work for Buddy Arrington. Buddy, uh, we kept running my sportsman car part-time, but Buddy was transitioning from Chrysler cars, which had torsion bars instead of springs, to buying those Fords from the Elliots that had coil springs. And Joey and, and Buddy didn't know a whole lot about coil springs, 
and and Buddy was the kind of guy he wanted somebody with some experience. Uh, Joey was the kind of guy that he would learn quick and make it work, and they they would have been fine without me. But Buddy hired me to to be be the guy changing springs, making sure they had the right stuff in there until Joey learned about it. And you talk about learning some stuff now. You learn a lot of stuff from Buddy Arrington after the race everybody's loaded up and gone we got to walk around and pick up all the rags laying on the ground we got to pick up all the tie straps so long as they're two inches or longer he'd put four together to make one and uh, he'd wash them rags in purple fire every week and have his own rag never had a rag bill he never had a tie strap bill back in the day bolts the same way He'd come in there from Petty's with a five-gallon bucket where they just took a car apart, and we'd have to separate the bolts and put them in the bolt bed. That's just that. That's how you, how he got by, right? That's I mean, being that's, frugal. Just, that's how you made it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a, a there's a difference of the guys that got everything mm-hmm. and the guys that know how to take the stuff and make it work. Wow, that's that's cool. So, a bucket of bolts. A bucket of bolts. Yeah. No, I used. <laughs> There, there's guys that still have buckets of bolts, you know, but uh, that's what my wife calls my car. Yeah. But, <laughs> so I, as you learned there from Buddy Arrington, and you you worked for him. Where, where was that shop based out of? Where did you guys race out of? Martinsville, Virginia. Okay, Martinsville. And yeah, I towed a forty foot trailer behind a one fifty Ford van up there and put it on Buddy's property and lived in my little trailer there. We hooked it up to the sewer system and a water line in the back. And uh, had to go in the shop as if you wanted to take a hot shower. That's the only place the hot water was in his shop in the shower. So when he asked you to move, I'm just trying to revisualize this for everybody. So he says, Hey Johnny, come to work for me and you go, Okay, so you hook a 40-foot camper to your truck, haul it up there and set it on the property, and that's where you're living and working at all at the same time. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, but that's, again, it, how you do it, man. Yeah, when man. you don't I have just, a big budget, right? Yeah. So yeah. after Buddy's program, how long do you stick around there, and then where do you go next? I left Buddy's and uh, quit, well, quit racing for a few years. I'd been divorced and wasn't happy the way my youngins was getting raised, and I went and got custody of my kids, started a racing go-kart business, and was fairly successful in that. Traveled with that, but took the kids with me and, and raced my youngest son, Curtis, in go-karts every week and sold parts to make the living there at all the tracks. Tell us just a little bit more, if you can elaborate a little bit more on the go-kart business, because honestly, when I first met you, everybody told me more about your go-kart world than I knew about your racing. So you must have been really successful in that go-kart world. We won championships. We actually built a, a what they called a champ cart when they first started out, and they had cages on them. I built one for Curtis so we could race, and I loaned it to a friend I met, Mike Motes and Roger Padgett, and they went and, and campaigned it on the WKA national dirt series and won the championship with it and somebody says you need to build go-karts and i said okay so we started building go-karts and and you, you buy 10 parts to build a go-kart well you couldn't get no good price you couldn't sell it made no money so i had to start buying parts 100 plus at a time so before you know it i had to get in the parts business because i wasn't building that many go-karts and it just mushroomed into a successful business that i later sold but we traveled around with a tractor trailer in the end selling parts racing out of it and having a big time we we went as far as louisiana to race way up in tennessee uh, went everywhere what what prompted you with the success you were having in the go-kart world what prompted you to to, to sell that business or to get out of it what what was all well Curtis turned 15 and was eligible to drive late mall stock, and we bought us a late mall stock car. Started getting it ready, hired Joe Smelling to help us, and uh, actually built show cars. I can't remember the name of the show car company. It was back over behind the racetrack for them to get Curtis acclimated into working on cars and and race cars and the way they was and and understanding them. we had a little late model career, and then we uh, Jimmy Smud again 
I went to him and I said, my youngest turned out to be a decent little qualifying racer. You got anything we can do? And he said, well, you can, I'll let him run this starting part, but you're going to have to fix the damn car if he wrecks it. I said, okay, well, let's try that. So we first, first race he ever went to was Nazareth, Pennsylvania up there. And, uh, he out qualified cars that had been there testing for three days. And, uh, so Jimmy kind of took a liking to him and, we, we did some starting parts for Jimmy, and then we found a sponsor, and Jimmy got money. Uh, we gave Jimmy money and run Dover one year, and then before you know it, we was buying old wrecked race cars to try and make something we could do on our own. Uh, bought my first SB2 engine from Clyde Vickers. He was a friend of mine in the business. And he, he sold me an engine on the credit, of course. Didn't have no money. But we got it paid for and made it work, and, Everything just kept mushrooming out. Man, that's amazing. They, he's brought up two names, or we've talked about two names just now. We're talking about smut the whole time, Jimmy right. Means. Yeah. And he just mentioned Clyde Vickers. Mm -hmm. Well, Clyde Vickers is Brian Vickers' father. Oh, no kidding. Okay, so yeah. anybody that pays attention to the race world. But Clyde was the first person. He got Jimmy and I together for me to drive Jimmy's car at Phoenix in a cup race, mm -hmm. the Alka-Seltzer car, number 52 car. So just when you just threw that name up, it just... Once again, it's a small world. Whenever we talk to any of the guests we have on this show, they're always like Legos, you know, like I said yeah. before. You know, they they always meet at some point. Everybody's I mean? a little connected. So yeah. you're, you guys are buying used race cars, wrecked race cars, and you're fixing them to, to build something for Curtis to race. Is that what I'm understanding? As, yes, sir. Yeah. And you were buying used stuff or wrecked stuff because you had no money? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, we didn't have any money. I mean, we was buying stuff they wouldn't fix. They were basically going to sell it for scrap. And, and that's the kind of things I learned from Jimmy Means and, and the other races. That, you know, as long as you square up the wheels on that thing, you can make it go around the racetrack. It might not be perfect, but, but we can get experience at his age, and we can learn about it. And we, We've had some race cars that was diamond and – uh, if it's supposed to measure five inches off the ground, it might have measured five and a quarter the way it was bent to be right. But they still handled decent and 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 got us some track time and got things noticed. Sounds good. Let's take a break and we'll come back and Let's talk. Do more it. About. We're talking to Johnny Davis, owner of JD Motorsports. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Owner of JD Motorsports, Johnny Davis, is with us. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Johnny. Somebody's on the phone. Yeah, there's a call for you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy. Look at Rich, he's jumping over on the other side of the wall. Like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Yeah. So uh, you and Curtis, I'm going to say you to start with, you're building cars, putting something together for Curtis to race. And I'm assuming that was in the Bush Grand National Series at that time? Is that yes, sir, that's correct. Yep. And how long did that go on for? Just, I mean, I mean, I know, you, you know. You're still doing that, but I mean, how long that little progression uh, or spot in your life there? How did how long did that continue for? Well, actually, it, it's it's never ended. Uh, okay. it, it had it had ups and downs along the way. Uh, Curtis didn't think we could come up with enough money to be successful in that venue. He he wanted to go back to Hooters racing. We had done a little bit of that some of those times there. And, uh, the guy, I can't remember the name, a great guy, had a muffler shop up in North Carolina, gave him the opportunity to drive the 68 car one year. They they won, won a race or two and run good in the Hooters Series. And I took my... And, and let me uh, interrupt you for a second cars. there. What was the Hooters Series? I mean, other than being sponsored by Hooters restaurants, what what kind of cars were those? Those were old, uh, cup, old, old Xfinity cars or cup cars or sportsman cars. You basically could take about anything and convert a 110 or 105-inch wheelbase at the time. And, uh, you know, that was a part I guess I left out uh, or didn't really leave it out. I had those sportsman cars and, and bush cars in my own, and then we did Hooters, and then we 
we did went back to the Bush series and then Curtis decided to go back and, and, uh, drive for somebody else. He didn't, he didn't want to see the strain on the family and all that. And I didn't want to quit racing, uh, never quit attitude. And I got Morgan Shepard to drive it that year. Oh, really? Oh, yes. And, and so you, you were mentioning there that Curtis, which is your son, just yes. didn't want to see you struggle for money or didn't think you had enough money or didn't think you had good enough stuff to run good or all of the above? Probably all of the above. You know, as a father and a son, sometimes you don't never tell each other everything. Yeah. And uh, I think he thought he had a better opportunity to to do better. And, and Steve Huxpeth, I think, was the guy's name. Uh, he, he had a first-class Hooters car and was buying all the tires, whatever it took. And he had the opportunity to drive that. So, you know, I, I let him go on out the door, you know, with my blessings. And I tried to make my program work, and it, and it did. You know, we're still here today. Been doing it ever since. I think that was 2003. Uh, we did not have a Daytona car, so we didn't go to Daytona. But uh, hired Morgan. We started at Rockingham. And... Uh, Went from, I think, Rockingham to Vegas. That was the big ice storm that year in Dallas. We had to sleep in the truck on the interstate. Couldn't move. Iced out in Dallas. But went out there, missed the race. It rained out, rained and snowed out qualifying at Vegas. And we didn't have but points from Rockingham. So we had to come home, and we didn't miss the race the rest of the year. Wow. That was amazing. Or not amazing, just big, big kudos to you so yeah. how, how did you you were building cars at that time or your own cars or putting cars back together right that's how you ended up with cars yes sir and uh how, how did your season go how did you run i mean i know you made all the races were you was there improvement or was it just kind of so-so year or well uh, you know morgan shepherd was a heck of a race car driver he had a talent he would work you to death because he he had a never quit attitude as well, and he never was satisfied with how the car drove. You may change the springs and shocks 15 times in an hour practice, just trying to be better and find the best. But that was fun. That was that was good times. We all traveled together. Morgan drove his motorhome most of the place. The guys rode in the motorhome. We had unhooked the tractor from the trailer and drive it to the hotel when we got to the race. I mean. That's where it all started. He was my first Bush Series driver, so to speak, uh, after the Sportsman Series, which was Joe Henry and all. Gotcha. Did uh, did Morgan ever get you on roller skates? That's kind of a thing of his. He was doing back You're, in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, he he never taught me into getting on them. Uh, <laughs> that'd be kind of a mess if I fell with my big old self. I'd I'd probably skin up and broke and never get going again. So. All right. Well, we'll kind of move from from those points of, of your career to how did you progress? And I and I say this in such a positive way. How did it progress to JD Motorsports that we kind of all know? Everybody in the race world knows Johnny Davis, knows the cars that he builds and designs and brings to the racetrack. Where where was the turning point to where? Wow, this is, this is a real race team. Well, it was Davis Motorsports. And went through a divorce, changed it to JD Motorsports just to get everything different. But, Mike, I have to compliment you on taking our program to the next level and getting us noticed. We would have never, probably still today, not been where we're at without the connections you had when you drove for us. That was the highlight of our career was Mike Wallace being the driver and being able to talk to media and getting media to talk to us and, and making things happen. Uh, you're actually the catalyst that moved us to the next level. He's a media mogul. Well, then take us back. Let's hear more about that story. How did you guys meet? How is it that you came to drive one of his cars? You know, let's go through that whole scenario, shall we? Yeah, that, I'm gonna let Johnny talk. I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here with a smile on so my face. How did, how did Mike Wallace get into one of your cars, Johnny? Well, we we didn't have. We actually had uh, the boy out of Tennessee drive Daniel Quinn, and uh, and he was a good racer, good qualifier. And, but 
he just wasn't very marketable and we didn't have enough money. Uh, and we, we started a starting park program. NASCAR wasn't having too many cars and, and they needed cars to be there. And, uh, somehow somebody hooked us up with Mike. He didn't have nothing to do. We did a, a few starting parks and then me and Danny got into it at Bristol real bad. And we get in the road course car ready to go to Canada. And I called Mike. I said, Hey, I said, I, me and me and O'Quinn, we just had it out and I'm done. I'm not really drive my cars no more. And he don't want to drive my cars no more. We, we've agreed to disagree and go different ways. I need you to go race at Canada. And if I remember it, Mike, Mike said, I, I got to make some calls because I got some commitments, family commitments. I got to see if I can get out of them. We went up there and we, we had a decent race. He got out of his commitments and that was the beginning of us racing. And, and he, he just brought all the media. He got a lot of attention and, and they were there to talk to him. And I guess they figured what in the hell is he doing driving for somebody like us, but we helped each other at that point of our careers and it really worked out. Oh yeah, it did without, without a doubt. And I thank you very much for that opportunity. And Jeff, you know what I think it amounted to back in that time? We were, we were both racers. We just, we did things a few, a little bit different way, but we, we blended well. Right. We got along well. There was never, I don't know. He needed a driver and you happened to be one. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I'm going to compare something. This is kind of funny because I, I, I love doing these shows because they bring up things I forget about. So when he said he needed a driver. So I was at St. Louis years ago and I was testing a Bush car back then. And in walks the racetrack. This was, I, I had a cup ride with Junie Donlevy at the same time. And we're testing. Here comes Kenny Schrader. Now, you know we grew up in St. Louis, right? right? So yeah. Schrader walking in to the – when I say walking in, he come in the racetrack into the garage area, and it's just a private test. There's only a few of us there. Uh, Schrader, what are you doing? And, you know, he, you know, he's typically got a joke here and there. He goes, if you really want to know the truth, I need a driver. <laughs> and, I, and he goes – I says, really? I says, well, what are you doing here? He says, I don't think you've got something full-time, and I, I want you to come drive my truck. I says, Really? I says, why are you asking me? He says, because you got an airplane too. You can fly the cruise at <laughs> <to> the racetrack. <laughs> he yeah, says, so, there's always pluses. Yeah, he says, I needed, I needed a driver plus the driver had an airplane, so it worked out <laughs> perfect. But uh, yeah, now Johnny and I were good for each other, man. We we went to Daytona. We ran well and ran fast. You know, we and we probably should have won a half a dozen races. That I ended up crashing or doing something stupid late and didn't think it was stupid at the time because I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Right. But, Turned out to be. But that in way. hindsight, it was. Yeah, stupid. I watched the race the other day. Highlight: We were going to win Talladega years back. Is that one of them three T's thing? Attraction. <laughs> we we talk on the show that the uh, the three T's of racing is you 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 lose traction, track, and then talent is the final one. All at the same time. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I got a good little story to go about that Daytona deal, uh, Talladega deal there that we turned that car over. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Tell that, that story. Fir- that was the first year of the full-time running of the new generation car, so to speak. And we didn't have but two cars, didn't have nowhere near enough cars. We was at Vegas, and I talked to Nick Harrison. I said, man, we need another car. I hear y'all got one over. Y'all hate and don't even want to run. He said, yeah. I said, so we got one. It's the first one we ever built. That's a piece of junk, and... James will probably give it to you, talking about James Finch. And I said, well, let's go talk to him. We went up in the trailer. James said, just just come and get that car. Don't worry about it. I said, no, James, I can't do that. I said, I've got no money. I can't pay you for that car. But I need to borrow it and put it in my truck for a backup. If we run it and I wreck it and we destroy it, I need to know what I owe you, and I'll have to make payments. I can't pay you. In full, we don't have that kind of money. He just come and get the damn thing. It don't matter. We'll figure something out. I said, you got to put a number on it. He said, okay, $20,000. I said, okay, I'll be to get it Monday when we get home. So I went and got that car. We hauled it around for a spare car for a long time. Well, they actually had built that car to go to Daytona, and they didn't take it because they hated it. I don't know who was driving for them. But we took that car off the truck worked on it a little bit we put the davis mojo around it and we went down there and qualified really good and should have won the race with that same car 
we turned that thing over and James had old Steve Bartdahl call me on Monday and said, Hey, James wants to get paid for that car today. I said, that ain't the deal we made. I said, we made a deal that I'd pay him when I could. And this is when I'm going to have money coming in. And this is the day I can pay you for that car in full. And I can't give you a penny till then. Okay. Well, he called James and, and you'd have to know James to understand this and James told him, says, well, that son of a bitch ain't never going to pay me. Just have him bring my pile of shit back. <laughs> so he, he called me, and I loaded all that wreck stuff up in the trailer, and I took it over and pushed it off in their shop. And I said, now, Steve, what do you want me to do when this money comes in? You want me to come pay you and, and get this car, or what do you want me to do? What, what's really, I said, that's what I feel like I need to do. And he said, Johnny, that would be the best thing, but James ain't expecting you to. I said, okay. Well, the day that check come in that I knew I'd have a little extra money, I went over and I told Steve, I said, here's your money. And I got my trailer out here. There's all my shit still in the same pile. I want to load it up and go throw it away. <laughs> and I paid him for that thing. Jake Finch called me the next day and asked me, was I crazy? He said, he had never paid me if I'd have done, if he'd have done that, the reverse rolls. I said, well, James, that ain't the way I was growing up. I said, you paid your bills and done what you said. He just kind of laughed, and, and then they tried to help us forever. You know, they'd set our cars up, bring us over and use their shop, whatever we needed. What a great story. <laughs> well, I wonder why, you know, it's funny you say, James. I ran into James a couple weeks ago. I went up to North Wilkesboro, and, uh, and uh, he's up there with his son uh, racing. And uh, just act exactly like James Finch always has. Found him up in the front of the lounge. But uh, mm -hmm. I wonder why he wanted that car back. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Or we'll talk about the next progression after that. We can do that and bring us into the modern day. Yes, sir. With J.D. Motorsports. We're talking to Johnny Davis. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network. Powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. One more go round with the owner of JD Motorsports, Johnny Davis, is here. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Johnny, at the time you were talking about there, the car with James Finch, uh, you know, we, we raced just another couple years together and as they say, everything goes different ways for whatever reason. But then you become not just a car owner. You become a mega car owner. You went from one car to two cars to three cars at one time having four cars. And, uh, man, like, was, was doing great. Tell us how all that came about and how you were grew that program you have. Now, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It's just one of them things that happened, and, and you're, you look back on it today and you say, what in the world did I do that for, and how did I do that? But, you know, the the, the field, the competitiveness got strong, and, and our stuff got to where we could qualify good, and uh, there was a driver availability of, of drivers that wanted to work for nothing hardly, and and uh, they, they were young and eager, and we just put different programs together. Uh, we hired Tony Pescaro. To help us find money and and he was finding a little money and and i was spending more than he could find well so, somehow it was working though right i mean you guys were I running mean, we well made and, it work yeah we made it work we made it work you know buying crash cars that they wouldn't fix and buckets of bolts and picking up rags and tie straps you know the, the buddy errington way the hilton way the jimmy smut means way it, just saving the dollar. Was there at any point during that, uh, in the last X number of years here, that you said to yourself, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep fixing old cars." Did you build new cars and go buy tie straps and rags or anything, or did you just keep you know, we, going we down we your path? We buy tie straps and rags now, and and we've only built one brand new car. Every chassis we've got. Uh, Today, you know, come from Ganassi's or Childers or Turner Scott when they were in business. Uh, we still got a couple of those road course cars. Uh, but but we've never built a brand new car but one time. And it, it wasn't that good of a program. And it's cost a lot of money to do that, you know, trying to put everything on a car brand new. 
So someone that's trying to picture JD Motorsports as we're sitting here talking, they're going, well, what's the race shop look like? Is, is you got any pictures up anywhere? You got a website where they can go look and see what things are? Or describe yeah. the shop. What you walk in when you walk in the door? Is there a couple cars? Is there twenty cars? What's it look like? I mean, the shop's uh, really big. Uh, the front part is eighty by one fifty that we heat and cool. It's old warehouse mill, uh, nothing fancy, no bells and whistles, no painted floors, no epoxy. Uh, you look like you're walking in some kind of old warehouse or something. Uh, office is on the right for the secretary. Mine's on the left when you go through the next little door. Marketing office on the right when you go through that door. Uh, it's just nothing fancy. It's just, it's just basics. You know, you can't race the shop. I always had the mentality, which probably isn't 100% correct. You, sh- you probably should have bells and whistles in today's world, but we never had any. Gotcha. And, and that, that race shop that everybody's familiar with is located, uh, what do you call that, southwest or west of Charlotte, about 50 miles down in uh, it's Gaffney. Gaffney, it? yes, sir. Yes, sir. Gaffney, South yes. Carolina. Hey, listen, uh, the website is teamjdmotorsports.com. And it says here that J.D. Motorsports is celebrating their 20th anniversary from 2002 to 2022. It's a good website. You can follow them on social media. They've got last race results, including what happened to Daytona over the weekend with a sixth-place finish for Ryan Vargas in the number 6 Chevrolet. Current point standings. And it's a, a team news. Good website. Got everything going on. Yeah. So tell me how the race world is going for Johnny Davis in the last couple years how is uh i've talked to different car owners and uh i've got myself a little bit confused if you want to be honest i uh i look at daytona this past week and they're going oh things are you know outrageous it's costing a lot of money it's not paying a lot but then i and i might have my number wrong a little bit but there's five too many cars show up at daytona five over so There still seems to be a desire for people to to go Xfinity Series racing, and uh, is it still attractive to you? Or are you enjoying it still? And is it something that's going to in your future for the rest of your life? Or what do you got planned? Well, Mike, as you know, uh, racing takes a toll on you over the years. It, it takes a lot of commitment, a lot of hours. I'm 65 years old now. Uh, Damn, Never what's it like able... to be that old? I... <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but you know it's. I, I would like to say I'm going to be an Xfinity car owner for the rest of my life, but if the right situation come along, I, I would certainly do different. I've. I've been fortunate enough that racing. I never made a whole lot of money racing, but it was my passion. It was what I loved. But it connected me to people, and, and the good Lord blessed me with a brain that I could figure out how to put two and two together and take people and make money in other areas to keep going. And, and I've turned that into quite a little niche in Florida and some real estate. And, and they're, again, buying burnt-out houses and dilapidated stuff and fixing it back up, you know, putting a lot of lipstick on it and making it be something that, somebody else wanted and made a little money on it and, and uh, i'll probably do that all my life for sure uh racing you know if i hadn't come up with a way to get out of racing in the next four years i guess we'll continue on in some kind of way forever so johnny just to the, to to the average race fan we hear a lot of conversation there's a lot of talk about charters in the cup series that, you know, they started out, they weren't worth very much, or if I had one, now they're worth millions of dollars. Is is there something compatible or close to that in the Xfinity series? I mean, is... Or, Nothing at all. I wish they would do something like that. You know, I've, I've went to them and asked them several times. You know, that seemed to have put a great value in that. It's kind of like the franchising of the sport. And I asked them to do that in our series, and they never would. Uh, they, they keep saying they, they don't have control of that one the way they want to. But, you know, you don't need to control everybody. You need to be frugal and let everybody make money and everybody have a value to something. 
but but they're never uh, apparently going to do it in Xfinity at this time. They they have talked about it, but I don't see it happening in the very near future. Uh, would have would have been a good thing, but back on your question a while ago, I guess I kind of circled around it about how is things. You know, you had five cars too many, and it seems to be very frugal. It's frugal going to the racetrack, but it's it's mostly new people that are connected to people that need to spend money and and write something off. Uh, the the days of starting a race team and just making it happen off of hard work the way I did mine. I think those are long gone. If you don't come in here with big bagfuls of money now, you, you can't get in the business. But but those guys are out there that have it. Now, the COVID deals really confused us all and, and changed our lives drastically. And, and we're still trying to get a grip and a direction on how we need to make this work for the best. So... Other than buying a bunch of parts and pieces, and I'm kind of on a business question and an informative question because I hear the, these questions from a lot of our listeners through various sources. If someone said, I want to go racing, and, and I don't know if all this is true. You're here. I'm hearing at least that there's going to be a, some of these cup teams that are present cup teams going to have Xfinity Series cars next year. I've heard that. Uh, I've heard actually that uh, Hendricks was going to run a, a, at least a part-time schedule, if not a full-time schedule. Uh, hearing some of those things rumored around, but you know, the, those guys want to start off. They got that plenty of money behind them. They want to start off with everything brand new. So, you know, we may get pushed out of the sport one day. It's not certainly what we want, but it, it could happen. Does the Xfinity series though offer is other than a lot of equipment? As Kenny Schrader used to tell me, I'm gonna have the biggest damn auction when it comes time to go. You know, <laughs> that's supposed to be humorous, is what that was. But uh, are your cars locked into the race? Do you, are you no, guaranteed sir. in, or do you have to qualify in every race? And is there any lock-ins in the whole series anymore? No, there's no lock-ins in our series other than a past race winner from last year. One of those is guaranteed in the race if he were to miss. Uh, you got your uh, four provisionals, your past champion provisionals. That's based on your current point standings of where you're at. And then we've used those a few times this year when we failed to qualify. But but other than that, there's no real guarantees or lock-ins or anything. I know one year we had 30 that was locked in, and that was kind of – it was based off the previous year. That made that year be a little easier, but not anymore. So why do you think they do that? I mean, uh, why do you think NASCAR is saying, you know, one, one of their programs is chartered. There's 36 locked-in cars. They know it every week. And they got another series that – I'm not sure it's like this every week, but I just happened to notice Daytona. You got more cars than the field is, and uh, you're not guaranteed nothing. You're an owner that's got to come bust your butt every week. Why? Well, just think that's. I don't their... understand. Uh, I don't understand that business model, but that's that's what they lay out there for us. Uh, we chose to participate. You know, I never will forget many years <laughs> ago when they had ten cars showing up. They didn't care if you come or not. Uh, but at least they talk to us. They uh, try and help us and listen to figure out ways to save us money. But, you know, they listen too much, I believe, to the front end of the garage. And you can't save those guys from themselves. You can just save them money in one area. They're going to go spend it in another to try and get an advantage. So, uh, but, but it is what it is. I've never understood why you're not willing to take care of the people that's been here. I mean, we've been full-time since 2002. And tomorrow, if we had to quit, basically it's pennies on the dollars what we'd get for everything. Well, we don't want to see that happen, and I'm sure it's not going to. You're you're great for the sport, Johnny Davis, and the whole JD Motorsports has helped a lot of drivers, helped a lot of old drivers, helped a lot of young drivers create a career. You know, we, we had uh, Justin Marks on here a while back, and we talked about Ross Chastain in our conversation. And right. J.D. Motorsports gave Ross Chastain a great start, and here he's a cup star today. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. What can we uh, t What can we tell the world? What What do you need they know? How do they get a hold of you? Well, how does 
some guy listening to us say, hey, I want to spend a little money with Johnny and help him out. How's well, he going about you doing that? My, my, my cell phone's on the website. My marketing guy's number's there, Tony. Pescaro, you can call us. Anything, man. We uh, we certainly need deep pockets to come our ways, and, and we can excite them and, and show them a great time and as well as put their name on the car and, and give them a great feeling at the racetrack and a good experience. What's, a, what's just a couple things, and we're getting to the end of the show here, but what's a couple things that – Let's say there's a, there's a guy listening right now. He's got a few extra bucks in his pocket. Doesn't have hugely deep pockets, but wants to wants to be involved. What what are a few of the things they can do or be part of on the race team? Or what are you going to offer them if if they want to get involved with you? Other than putting well, the name on the car. Well, you got the experience. If they're a company, they can bring some of their employees, or they can bring potential customers and and let them have the experience. You know, you, you taught me, Mike, that, that racing's a big pie and you can actually cut it into more pieces than you can a pie you're going to eat because there's so many things you can do. You can uh, employee retainment, employee recruitment. There, there's so many ways you can use that tool other than putting your name on your car with that experience to impress your people that you're around, new customers, employees, uh, whatever there's so many things there you know we can uh, we can come up with a package that'll help your company if you're willing to invest and give us a chance to talk to us well jeff ken i think johnny davis is a hell of a guy i think jd he's Motorsports one of the grass is, i mean that is one of the grassroots stories yeah right? so how about because I, I don't know if you're on his website if you're thumbing through things yeah, i'm goofing around but, on the website right but now. do me a favor read the website address out team jd motorsports.com and you can also find him on social media We've got a, an active Facebook page, and uh, we'll put uh, we'll put the links to the show and everything. Send the links to to Johnny, and that'll Sound, be posted tonight. Sounds good. So Johnny Davis, good. thank you Send for me your all time. The links. We'll put them on our website. That's what we need you to do. I appreciate everything you've done all for right. me, and wish you nothing but the best. There you go. Thanks, Mike. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Jeff. Johnny Davis, you've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.